Tēnā koutou. You're listening to a Tātai Ahorau for Education Podcast. It genuinely was, was life-changing. Tēnā koe, ka nui te mihi ki a koe, ko tā mai ki te kōrero i tēnei rā. Hei tīmata i tātai tātou kōrero, tātou kōrero me tīmata pea ki te pepeha. Tēnā koe, oh, uh, tēnā koe, uh, he uri tēnei no te waka o Tainui, no Tainui Āwhero, te iwi, ko poi hākina te marae, no Whangaroa hau. Engare e pākeke ana au ki o tautahi, i raro i te maru o te haukainga i reira, uh, ngai tuhuririn, he mihi kātika ki a rātou, ko Janelle Ricky Waka tēnei, he kaiwhakahaere ahau i te kamupini o, o Ricky Consultancy. Hi, e mihi ana ki a koe. Kia ora. Tēnā koe, kei te tino kōau ki te kōrero ki a koe. Ko wai tēnei, he uri no ngā waka o mā tātua o te aroa o tainui. Kia ora. O reira ki te taha ki tainui, ko kake puku te maunga, ko wai pā te awa. So we're talking today about language, te reo Māori, indigenous languages, heritage languages. Uh, you were, you've talked a little bit before about your connections with sport and I just wondered if you could talk a little bit about how the language features in sport and the, and the culture features in sport. Kia ora. I think that's been something that has grown hugely in the last few years here in Aotearoa, New Zealand. I have been heavily involved with a couple of sports, even just as a child. We're a sporting whānau, I think. We're pretty good athletes. Uh, there's only been one really that's excelled. <laughs> the rest of us played for the love of sport. But I sit on, I continue to sit on the uh, Canterbury Rugby League board and I work with a number of the regional sports trusts up and down the country to this day and do also some work with Sport New Zealand. There has been a growing commitment to the protection and revitalisation of Te Reo Māori through many of our sporting codes. And I would say that Māori, Tangata Māori, Rangatahi Māori, Tamariki Māori are represented in certain sports to a higher number. However, they, they certainly play across all codes. One of the things that I have long admired and will continue to advocate for Māori sports tournaments, Māori sports entities, I think the difference in those arenas and and having had a son who's played in mainstream sporting entities and also had the opportunity to play in Māori sporting tournaments and entities, the difference is tikanga really. It's the foundation of tikanga, it's the, the commitment to providing opportunities for mātaranga Māori and strengthening the connection for young athletes to their language, culture and identity in an arena that they love and that they excel in or just enjoy being in. So I think our Reo Māori has a huge, important, vital role to play in sport, not least actually as a bit of a secret weapon for some of our Māori teams. And I've seen that on the netball court. Mm. I've seen some of our kura kaupapa Māori teams being able to call it or Māori to each other <laughs> around strategy and where they want the ball and things like that. So an added advantage, I would say, in that arena. So we've had a look, we've heard some things in the media about kids being and adults too being challenged about mm. speaking Māori on the court. What are your thoughts about that? 
Uh, I mean, hekeno, you know, we will continue to create mainstream spaces for our real to be welcomed and to be nurtured. And in my sort of daytime job, wearing my daytime portai, I have done quite a lot of work around professional learning and development for those that work in regional sports trusts and also those that just work on the ground at grassroots level sports around helping them to understand the importance to to waiora, to haora for Tangata Māori, Tamariki Māori, Rangatahi Māori, when they create a space where their language, culture and identity is not just welcomed but empowered. I think there's a difference and there's sort of a, we've gone, gone quite a way as a nation and I feel like we've gotten to this kind of acknowledgement stage and we've kind of got that down pat. Like we acknowledge Māori atangata whenua, we acknowledge Te Reo Māori as one of the official languages of Aotearoa. And it would be easy for us to get stuck there. And I'm really keen to have a kōrero and to be continuing to gently nudge everybody out of acknowledgement and into and towards empowering. Because I think acknowledging is sort of opening the door and saying you're welcome here. But actually the next step is creating opportunities for it to be spoken for tikanga to be practiced. So empowering the language, culture and identity of Māori to be present in mainstream spaces is gonna it's gonna require another step past acknowledgement. But they say that language is the window to culture. I deeply believe that. I deeply believe that if you go on a journey to learn Te Reo Māori, you understand more about Te Ao Māori. And so, and we know that te reo and tikanga go hand in hand. So I feel like starting with reo can be, I guess, I don't want to say easier because it's never easy, but it can be a solid sort of structured place for some of our entities to start because they can learn a bit of reo and then through there infuse that tikanga into practice and then uara Māori, mataranga Māori sort of all surrounds reo and, and allows them a space for creating and empowering te ao Māori in, in mainstream spaces. If you look at a, a team like the Black Ferns that has te reo Māori and tikanga Māori as part of their culture within that team, what do you think they those things te reo Māori and tikanga Māori bring to the team how does it make the culture yeah. how does it make the black ferns the black ferns I would hold that team in particularly and, and, and certainly of the last year or so the World Cup winning black ferns I would hold them almost to you know that what we should measure our teams against in terms of their embracing of te ao Māori, tikanga, reo Māori. They have been blessed and the nation and the world has been blessed with amazing role models in that team that could call reo Māori which I think was amazing and truth be told I don't know that you would have stopped them because it, you could see them pick up the mic it was very natural for them to just or Māori, but you have to have conducive environments for that to be, uh, for them to be able to feel confident and capable of doing that. And so they've created something in that team, and I hope that everybody looks to that and looks to emulate that. What I think what that has done and that uh, incorporation and embracing of tikanga Māori, mataranga Māori, reo Māori within the Black Ferns team has shown that. 
for the harshest critics, Māori are more than just athletes, you know, can chuck a ball around and can run fast and can tackle well, you know. They are articulate, intelligent, you know, communicators that can be absolute role models for everyone. For everyone. Of course they're going to be role models for tamariki Māori, but actually they're role models for everybody. Because Māori succeeding on the world stage is Aotearoa exceeding on the world stage. And that's something that I think we need to deeply understand as a nation. When Māori win, we all win. You know, that's in the nation's best interest to have role models that are able to, to keep our language, culture and identity to the forefront, like I said, in mainstream spaces where it hasn't been anymore. Mm, beautiful. I remember when Tui did that little epic interview she did with, I think, TV station in, in Britain. And one of the things I noticed, she spoke um, Samoan and also she did a mihi to everybody. Yeah. It wasn't, she didn't miss anybody out. Yeah. She, she mihi to the camera person. She mihi to the person who was doing the interview. She, she did a mihi to mm. the whanau and all the supporters. And I really don't think she missed anyone out. So that's that, that whole culture thing. It's mm. not, it goes beyond just the real. Absolutely. And I mean, what a koha Ruby Tui's been to the world, you know, and what a phenomenal athlete, but a phenomenal role model for all of our tamariki. I think what I have seen, even at grassroots levels, uh, I, and I'm, I'm involved quite heavily in rugby league, and just this year they've had the women's nationals, regional teams competing in, in a competition. And when they are interviewed after the game, we are hearing, you know, reo hamoa, you know, Samoan language, Tongan language, te reo Māori. And what I have found almost always is the captains of the team when they interview will start in their, the language of their culture. But almost always there's some real in there. And what that means is that they are honouring their own heritage and their own real, but they're also honouring Aotearoa by acknowledging tangata whenua. And, and even if it's just, you know, in their first language or their, their mother tongue language, if you like, and then they might say kia ora, tēnā koutou, you know, something that's incorporated. Our struggles with te reo Māori in terms of deeply embracing it do not lie in younger generations. Like predominantly, our young people—they're all about it. They have enough of to just seamlessly integrate it. So we actually want to create spaces for them. You know, the workforce, places that they're going into, to be ready for these young people who don't have as many barriers as some of the generations that have come before them and, and maybe some of the language trauma and, and, and all those kinds of things that others are navigating. Our young people, this next generation is going to change the world. I have no doubt. They're amazing. We've got a, a little kiwaha that's also the title of our panel this afternoon, Oku Reo Ka Mehameha, My Special Languages. My lang languages are my learning power. Mm. So what does that mean to you and your mahi? Mm, kia ora. I tell all Māori kids that I come into contact that one, not all, one of their superpowers is whakapapa, full stop. You're Māori, that's a superpower. And so for them, they, go and, they can then go on a personal kind of journey to find out what that is. I believe one of my superpowers is my whakapapa because it's so much bigger than me as a person and so much bigger than the present. It, it, it includes um, those that have come before me, my ancestors, my tupuna, um, my wider whānau, and they all contribute to my 
Maori-ness, for lack of a better word, and my identity and my deep connection to identity. Te reo Māori, um, my, my koro was a first language speaker and in fact he had pretty poor English for most of his life. My dad's first language was Te Reo Māori but then through mainstream schooling and a whole bunch of language trauma he was on the tail end of getting strapped at school you know for speaking Māori he he got several straps for speaking Māori at, at Kura. He didn't have his language to give to me and between him and Te Reo Māori was a lot of trauma you know so to traverse that trauma to get to real was really difficult for him. I didn't have the same level of trauma but I had the sense of his trauma around real and it just hung in the air and in our conversations and our relationships you know between father and children we just knew about that. I went on a journey it started at high school and then much later even after I'd had my child I'd started my sort of deep connection to real. And it genuinely came about because of this. I was a teacher and I graduated and started teaching in a mainstream kura. And it was a back in the days of deciles. And so it was a very low decile school. Predominantly Māori kids in my class. My first year of teaching I got to the end of the year and I thought, I don't know if I can help these kids. I don't know what I'm doing, I don't know if it's making a difference, any of the things I am doing, there's something else in this room, there's something else going on with these kids and I couldn't put my finger on it, I was young and a new teacher, went into my second year, felt the same thing, I was like I don't know if I'm making enough of a difference, yeah I've taught them some things but am I making enough of a difference in their lives and then I retrained as a bilingual immersion teacher and I went back to that same school and I opened a bilingual unit and those same kids came in. And the difference that I was able to make when I could connect them to something bigger than themselves and bigger than the environments that they had come from, mostly from, you know, incredibly vulnerable backgrounds, at-risk kids, essentially, to be able to go and introduce them to Te Whiti and Tohu and talk about the remarkable tupuna that we had and to see their eyes light up and go you know I descend from them and to be able to teach them kiwaha and and show them a depth of poetic sort of uh, the beautiful poetic nature of te reo Māori and introduce our kids to words outside of swear words and, and thoughts and, and depth of feeling and, and really talk about manaakitanga and mana and those concepts, it genuinely was, was life-changing. So essentially te reo Māori became a vehicle to strengthen their connection to language, to their reo, obviously being a bilingual classroom, but more importantly, their connection to their identity, their whakapapa, their tupuna, their materanga, you know, marama ki Māori, their hono ki Māori. You know, it became the, the waka that carried, I guess, a depth and a strengthening of connection. And, which I'm sure is no surprise, academic achievement, started to climb and we know that this is true because look at the academic achievement of our kids in, in our kurakaupapa Māori and look at those kids that are excelling academically because of the strengthened connection to language, culture and identity. It's amazing. You, you, you mentioned that you're working with rangatahi, 
So is this an extension of that work as a bilingual teacher or can you give us a little bit of a kōrero about what you're doing with rangatahi at the moment? Yeah, I feel like if you're a mum, you don't ever escape rangatahi. There seems to just be always kids in my house. <laughs> so I do that, but I also, I sit on the Canterbury Rugby League board and I do a lot of work. I've had a, my son has transitioned into elite sports pathway, so, and he lives in Australia now, but because I'm still here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, I do quite a bit of work mentoring young, aspiring athletes. But more importantly, because I mean, I can tell them some stuff and they kind of go, yeah, because I'm still a I'm still a fire. So, you know, <laughs> as much as they want to listen to what I have to say, more importantly, I, um, I mental parents through that. So what are agents? Do you have to sign contracts? What does that look like? Your child's transitioning overseas if it's overseas or, you know, how can you care for them in that space? Not just in terms of physically because they're athletes more importantly culturally and emotionally and I had a child who was 17 who went to Australia and was put in a house with other athletes and culturally it nearly broke him because everyone thought different and acted different and they didn't have the same values and you know he was in a house where I kid you not Within weeks of being there, he opened the dishwasher to put dishes in there and found two pairs of rugby boots in there because the boys in the house thought it was okay. Like in their house, they could wash rugby boots in the dishwasher. So he was yeah. ringing me, you know, like the tikanga of that sitting on tables in the whare, you know, like those kinds of things. I learned so so much about the it stands them in such good stead to bring our tamariki up with a base of tikanga here's some things we just do as a whanau here's some things we don't do what I wasn't prepared for is how impact of him being put in a space where that tikanga wasn't just known by everybody and wasn't just common practice the impact that would have on his well-being on his Modi and his wairua and the deep sense of loss that he would experience and the deep sense of disconnection and I'm in a foreign place and nobody knows me and and that trickled down so lots of the things I do is um, mentor young people about like here's some stuff you're going to expect you know, not all people know they don't, they shouldn't sit on tables and you're going to be confronted with that. And, you know, how are you going to keep your tikanga alive in those spaces where it's going to be foreign to others? And, and what does that look like? And how are you going to ensure that your bucket gets filled up? And then talking with parents about what can you do to prepare your tamariki for a place, for places and spaces where their tikanga is, is, is going to hit up against some other values. So, mm. yeah, I still do lots of work in that space. It's an honour and a privilege to do that it's an honor to be able to share some things I learned as a mum as a Maori, as a Maori woman and a mother of a young Maori person who went into that world and I learned them because we got it wrong honestly and I'm really open about mm. it I'm like man here's some massive mistakes we made and it caused some some hurt and some harm unintentionally to him and to me and we could have done things better so yeah without without pushing that aside or compromising your tikanga because I think you've got to keep that and protect that but also protect our kids in that space. Yeah. There's actually a pattern there that happens for our kids who tra transition from kurakaupapa Māori mm. or from real Māori classes into mainstream mm. where they have the same sorts of experiences. 
So how can teachers in mainstream or English medium, how can they help to ease that transition yeah. for tamariki coming in from yeah, reo Māori, kaupapa Māori classes? And I, I have seen it and I've heard it and I've felt it for some of our tamaiti and, and um, rangatahi that have gone from kura kaupapa or, or Māori immersion or Māori medium education into mainstream. There's long and short answers to this. The first thing we need to do is increase and strengthen the cultural capability and knowledge of our kayako and English medium kura. We just need them, we need to support them to be more aware and more understanding of that. And then the second long-term aspiration, honestly, is that tikanga Māori, mātaranga Māori, uara Māori becomes commonplace everywhere. So our kids don't have to... I often talk about... There's a, a sliding scale, in a sense, of people's experience in te ao Māori. So, so there's only one defining figure of being Māori, and that's Papa Māori, and I deeply believe that. But there's no grade of Māori. But there is this almost sal- sliding scale of experience in te ao Māori. And some Māori people have seen te ao Māori, but it's way over there. And I've never been in it and I haven't, I've kind of looked through the window, but I've never dipped my toe in. Others have been in and out and in a little bit and out a little bit, spend some time there, out a bit. And what we're starting to see and what we will see, I think, in the next 10 years are kids who are, who are navigating both worlds simultaneously really confidently and they're going to go and bang on the door and look for jobs soon so the other big co-papa I'm interested in is preparing the workforce for these kids as well but what I want to see is mainstream education or English medium education deeply understanding that that those kura, kura auraki are spaces for both worlds they might be, you know, they might be called English medium education, but the English is kind of an oxymoron. You know, actually they're, they're kura. They're just kura. And both worlds are welcome there. So then how do we support kura to understand how do I create spaces for te ao Māori in here so that our kids, if they transition from kura kaupapa Māori, they're going from te ao Māori to te ao Māori? At the moment, they're going from Te Ao Māori to Te Ao Pākehā. But it needn't be that way. We just need to support our kura auraki to understand that both worlds are welcome and what is that going to look like from a leadership perspective to create that space. Awesome. I like your statement there, preparing the workforce for our kids, which really turns on 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 its head the idea that we should be preparing our kids for the workforce. Absolutely. It's not, our kids shouldn't have to fit into the mould. It's the other way around. And can I just say, if you've met any of this next generation, they are so much more confident than I was. They will call stuff out. They're still respectful, but they'll be like, mm, that's not okay with me, actually. And, and, and they will pick and choose. Like, you should be so lucky if they choose your workplace But actually, trust me, if you haven't got that right and those conditions right for them, they will just walk past you. And and so these organisations who are saying loud and loud to everybody that will listen, we want to diversify our sector. We want to diversify our workforce. My, My return servers, what have you done about it then? Don't look out and go, come here, do the work internally. It's like you're going to put your house on the market, 
clean it up first <laughs> because they are going to be shopping around and they can afford to walk past your workplace onto the next one. It, it is not a secret when there are lots of Māori people working in an organisation together. It means that they're doing something right and you need to be thinking, why haven't I got many Māori here? What aren't I doing? Mm. Kia ora. I feel like this conversation is just warming up. Yeah, I know. We could talk all day. Yeah. <laughs> but have you got any wrap-up comments? I just think that the next generation are coming behind us. And my question to myself now, as a mother, as a woman, as an educator, is, okay, they're right behind me. <laughs> what do I need to do? What can I do? I heard someone say recently that, and they were talking about, you know, whakapapa and our tupuna. They were sharing with me that every generation had a responsibility. And, it, and you know, the, the first generation was navigating colonisation. And then the next generation was actually navigating the impacts of colonisation. And that, that's carrying on. I'm really keen to ask myself this question like, okay, you're right behind me, you know, my daughter who's 18 and my other daughter who's coming up to 15, you know, what do I need to do now to ensure that your journey's a little bit better? How do I leave the road with a little less obstacles for you? So I'm interested in that. I think many of us will be. What do we need to do? And I would like to think that we're they're going to, we're the beginning of disruption. Like let's disrupt enough that when they come in, we've kicked up enough dust that people are having to start to to clean the surfaces and make sure they're doing better and they're preparing the workplaces and universities, you know, tertiary institutions, all of those places our rangatahi will go into. They are going to do better because we've disrupted enough to make sure they know they need to do better. Yeah. Uh, Janelle, neira te mihi ki a koe, tēnā koe i tō mātauranga, i tō rerehua, i te pai te, ki te whakarongo ki a koe. Tēnā koe ho. Kia ora. Kia ora. Kia ora. <laughs> you've been listening to a Tātai Ahorau Core Education Podcast.